0: Now, David Fiorazzo.
1: Politics is essentially legislating morality. So when someone says, as a Christian, I don't believe that Christian should be involved in politics, I would say, do you believe Jesus has something to say about morality? And the answer is, of course, what? Yes. And so that's a realm that Jesus has something to say in. And so that's what politicians are doing. They're legislating ethics, morality. They're saying this ought to be done. This ought not to be done. And I'm saying that God has something to say about that. And so when Christians take their voice out of the realm of politics, what they're saying is, is that Jesus has nothing to say in the area of morality and justice and righteousness. That is just not consistent with the Christian worldview. But when someone says something, it's interesting too, because I think it's something that's like, it should should be so patently obvious to us. We oftentimes just haven't thought far enough ahead, steps ahead to see kind of like where this gets inconsistent. When someone says, well, if we just abolish it and establish justice, you know, they're just gonna do it in the corners of society and back alleys. My first response to that is, yeah, murders are supposed to take place in dark alleys, not in the public square. Are we done? (laughs) You know, when someone says, it's gonna take place anyways. I would say, do you talk that way about sex trafficking? You know, if we abolish sex trafficking, you know, it's just going to be done in, you know, these, these, these secret places anyways. I would say, yeah, and then we go and we send police officers there to charge these people with crimes, right? You want it taken. You do not want it to be in the public square, acceptable, and everybody's allowed to do it. You want it to be in the dark places of society. That's where it belongs.
0: Well, you know, the topic for today's podcast here on Stand Up For The Truth, that was Pastor Jeff Durbin, a teacher and an elder at Apologia Church, and the head of End Abortion Now. Um, He wrote the foreword to today's guest's new book called Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. Rusty Thomas is the author. It is available on Amazon. Before I bring in Rusty to the conversation, I want to share Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you... God created my innermost parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my formless substance, and in your book were written, all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Father, I lift up this day to you and this podcast and this topic and what we are going to be discussing, and I pray that you would soften our hearts, break them if necessary, regarding this battle for human lives in mother's wombs, created in your image as we all are, every human being, God, give us the, the, just the passion, the, the, the desire to fight for life again for those of us maybe who have been out of the game. But, Father, help us, God. Guide us by your Holy Spirit. Increase our faith. Help us to uh, understand that the enemy will come against us in this battle. And, Lord, at the same time, help us be warriors for truth and help us expose the deeds of darkness while proclaiming the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lead us today, Father, as always, we ask for your Holy Spirit and give us wisdom. We love you. Thank you for giving us purpose in life and and a mission that we have that never changes. And for everyone listening, in the sound of my voice, touch them right now with what they need today. Whatever their need is, whether that's uh, spiritual, emotional, uh, social, financial, uh, health, Lord, touch them. But also encourage them to speak for the most vulnerable for the lost and for those who are being destroyed in the, lo- in the wombs of their own mothers. Oh, Lord, br- break our hearts over this issue again in the church, in your church, not in the world, in the church, and churches and church leaders. We love you, Lord. We pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Author Rusty Thomas, Operation Save America. Uh, He's a public speaker and author of the book we're going to talk about today, Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. He uh, founded Elijah Ministries in 1985, and uh, it's a a teaching, writing, and preaching ministry dedicated to imparting a biblical worldview to the Church of Jesus Christ. Rusty Thomas, welcome back, brother.
2: Well, Great to be back with you, brother David.
0: All right, let's talk about Jeff Durbin, uh, since we played an audio clip from him in a recent Q&A about the topic of life and why we should defend abortion and try to outlaw it. Your book is called Abolish Abortion Biblical Strategies. So uh, to us, actually, it is a biblical issue. To the world, it's a political issue. But the title of today's podcast is Abortion Is a Biblical, Gospel, Social, and Moral Issue. Rusty, share your thoughts about that. And also uh, Jeff
2: Durbin and how he came to write the foreword to your book. Well, uh, my relationship with Pastor Jeff is a, really a miraculous one, brother. Um, I, I, two days before uh, a documentary was being released called "Babies Are Murdered Here." Uh, I had no idea I was going to be in this documentary. Nobody informed me. (laughs) And so two days before its release, I get this uh, message on Facebook. I get this compliment uh, from somebody named Bobby McCreary, and he's complimenting me about my role, I guess, in this documentary. And I said, well, Bobby, I appreciate the compliment, but in reference to what? He goes, you don't know? And I go, No, I, I don't know. He said, dude, you're <laughs> you're in this documentary. <laughs> they 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 took a message that you preached and framed a documentary and then about a couple of seconds later, both the producers, John Speed and um, Marcus Pittman, contacted me and go, yeah, what he said. And I go, well, that's great, guys. <laughs> probably would have been, you know, maybe give me a little forewarning that this was happening. Um, but what I did not know, brother, is that that documentary, Babies Are Murdered Here, was going to have such an important impact in this battle Hmm. for the souls of men the lives of children and the future of our nation so what had happened marcus sent jeff uh, a copy of of the video on his phone and he was dropping off uh, his children at a homeschool co-op and he started watching the video now I, i must say that god was preparing jeff Um, He was moving on him. He was convicting him about abortion and things of this nature. So he he was already on the road. But what he expressed to me, brother, is when he heard me preach on the doctrine of blood guiltiness, Hmm. literally, brother, the Holy Spirit fell upon him in that car, and he busted, buddy. He just— sobbed and sobbed and sobbed, and that is when God birthed him into this battle, and so we started a relationship, and we connected, and I must say, brother, in this battle, uh, I know of no other church, no other group that took the message to heart and began to live it out by faith, mm-hmm. and the fruit of the kingdom fruit that has come from Pastor Jeff, Apologia, and End Abortion Now is monumental, brother. They they literally have hundreds of churches. Praise God, not just in America, but around the world, Lord, uh, around the world, where the salt is coming out of the shaker, the life from under the bushel,
3: hmm. and
2: they are engaging in this battle. Uh, to criminalize abortion and set the preborn free,
0: um, Rusty, we're going to get into your book quite a bit, and I've got a lot of questions on things. Not questions like I'm I'm not asking anything because I disagree. I want you to elaborate on some of the things that I've read because there's some excellent points, and every Christian that is engaged in this and aware of this battle that starts at the spiritual root, of, it's it's evil. They need to get this book, Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. As I said, is it, it is available on Amazon. But what would you say to someone who might uh, suggest that um, the church shouldn't be involved in this? I know that's been a battle that you've been fighting for a long time. Well, share a little bit about
2: that struggle, brother. Well, I think it's important, brother, that we understand that so much of what the church was Uh, in redemptive history, Hmm. has not translated very well with the American church. Hmm. It's unfortunate, brother, but I believe so much of our culture has uh, salted, or I should say sweetened the church to the point of truth decay. Hmm. So what I mean by that, brother, this is not our first rodeo, right? You know, the church armed with revelation that Jesus Christ is king of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth, and that there is a great commission that must be fulfilled. And part of that great commission is nations need to obey the commandments of God, right? And obviously one of those commandments is thou shalt not murder, right? And so you couple that with the understanding in the church that man is made in the image of God. Yes, a fallen creature with a feet of clay, with a sinful nature. Obviously, that image has been marred in this world, but that image has been stamped upon human beings, and that means there's, a, <clears throat> there's an aspect where life is sacred, right? And, um, and so the church, armed with Jesus as king, man is made in the image of god throughout redemptive history you know what was the one institution that god used to let's say you know confront and overcome slavery or human sacrifice or a number of atrocities you know who 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 was the group what was the institution that that took on these atrocities and set the victims free from oppression well that is the church of Jesus Christ. And the answer, and the question is, why? Well, Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this is very specific, brother, when it comes to child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. In Jeremiah chapter 19, God sends Jeremiah the prophet with a pot to smash it at the altars of Moloch and Baal. Mm. And this is where Israel adopted the pagan practices of the surrounding nation and were literally offering their child to demon idols. And what's interesting there, the, 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 the place is called Gehenna. Mm. Gehenna, right? Jesus said Gehenna was another term for hell. So we know there's an eternal abode called hell where people are going to wind up who reject the generous often offer and pardon from our Lord Jesus Christ but we need to understand <clears throat> there's also hell on earth and that is the place of child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood interesting brother when Jesus revealed himself for who he was and the calling of the church, he did it at Caesarea Philippi. That's where he says, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What 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 most folks do understand is that rock, underneath that rock, the pagans thought was the gateway to the underworld. It was a hotbed of, of demonic activity, mm. idol worship, pagan practices it's not a coincidence jesus is standing upon that rock Mm. and saying the gates of hell will not prevail against the church Mm. and so so much of this brother has been robbed from us Um, some of it is due to ignorance yes and unfortunately brother Some of it is due to willful ignorance, and that we must repent of.
0: Amen. Uh, We're speaking with Rusty Thomas, and I encourage you to get his book, guys, Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. Um, I want to go back and talk about some history, and this is one of the reasons I think we are confused generally as a people in our nation, but also, unfortunately, as you know, brother, in the Church. So the American Family Association... uh, had a graph, which you included on page 65 of your book, about Thomas Jefferson's wall. And then you got a comparison to Justice Black's wall. Before I let you explain that, I want to just read a quote from the book regarding the overwhelming evidence that the high court found of the Christian worldview in America in the 1892. I'll say that again. This is 2022. It's 1892. In the case of the Church of Holy Trinity versus the United States, the Supreme Court analyzed thousands of documents concerning the founding of America. Now, let me just read this. Quote, There is no dissonance in these declarations. There is a universal language pervading them all, having one meaning. They affirm and reaffirm that this is a religious nation. These are not individual sayings. Declarations of private persons, they are organic utterances. They speak the voice of the entire people. This is a religious people. This is a Christian nation. So very interesting, most of us, Rusty, understand that, yes, that was our founding, and that was the belief of most of our leaders, founders, pastors, uh, patriots at the time in our early uh, history in America. But today it just seems like we have erased our history, and we're now um, really confused by a lot of things, philosophies, moral relativism, the separation of church and state. So I'm going to let you share. We've got uh, four and a half minutes left in this segment.
2: Well, brother, there's no doubt there has been a, uh, an agenda uh, to rewrite and revise our history, and what is so critical about that attempt to erase God and Christianity from the founding of our nation is once you sever the roots of a nation, um, the nutrients that once provided sustenance to our nation when it comes to, you know, uh, the right to life, the right to liberty, uh, the pursuit of happiness, once you sever those roots, Obviously, whatever we once had is going to die on the vine. And and one of the most uh, disturbing situations we face, David, is there's still in America, you know, a desire for blessing. You know, we we love the prosperity. We love the protection. You know, we love all these things. We cherish all these things but we have forgotten the one who has provided those things for us. We're much like Israel of old in that regard, brother. If you remember, when he's bringing them into the land, you know, he tells them, you're going to live in homes you didn't build. You're going to drink from wells you didn't dig. You're going to eat from vineyards you didn't plant. Uh, But when you prosper, don't forget me, Hmm. you know, Uh, and don't think it was your great intellect or your mighty arm that has gotten you all these things and um, and unfortunately brother just like Israel we received the massive blessings of God God bless this nation beyond any other nation on the face of the earth uh, and I put a quote in there by uh, Alexis de Tocqueville you remember he was the French historian who was very curious about America
3: mm-hmm.
2: he, he knew that you know we were the new kid on the block as far as nation building was concerned. And he noticed that we were doing very, very well. And so he came over here to investigate. I think it was like a nine-month deal. And it's interesting. He said, I searched for America's greatness, like in their farms, their agriculture, their factories, their halls of power. He said, but I didn't understand America's greatness until... I went into the churches Mm -hmm. of America. That's right. And he said it was there where he heard righteousness thundered from the pulpits. And right then and there, he knew America was great because America is good. But if she ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And unfortunately, brother, we are not going to be restored as a nation until the church herself, becomes good again, and desires to overcome evil by doing that good. Mm.
0: Our guest today, amen, by the way, Rusty Thomas. Um, We are going to talk more with Rusty when we come back about his new book, Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. Also, um, the pro-life movement, some think or say that it actually does not want to end abortion. Well, that's interesting, because what happens if we end abortion? With what would happen to the movement? We've got a lot more to talk about with Rusty Thomas when we come back on Stand Up for the Truth. Your monthly financial support of truth dot com is needed and appreciated. Now back to today's Stand Up for the Truth with David Fiorazzo. Lucas Childress is an assistant director of Operation Rescue, Operation Save America, and he said abortion is not merely a human rights issue that can be fixed with science or the knowledge of man. It is a gospel kingdom issue. It is an abomination rooted in the demonic, and it can only be driven out on a foundation rooted in Christ. And uh, Pastor Jeff Durbin uh, says in the foreword of the book, what you will find in this book is a consistent gospel-centered, biblically grounded approach to ending child sacrifice in our nation. We do not need the compromised, inconsistent, and failed neutral approach to ending abortion. We need Christ. We need his word. We need his gospel. This is what Rusty has fought for, taught, and learned over and over again through his life of sacrifice for these fatherless children. And the Christian church will benefit from listening to this man, Rusty Thomas. So, Rusty, just your thoughts. uh, Very um, um, complimentary comments, and uh, it must be encouraging, but... Um, Wow, those are powerful words, and I agree with them, by the way.
2: Well, obviously, brother, one of our chapters is called Foundations, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And we all know uh, the teaching of our Lord when it comes to the wise and the foolish man, right? You know, one builds his house upon a rock, the other on sinking sand. The storms come, none of us are exempt from it. But when the smoke clears, you know, one is standing and one is falling and great is that fall. And so one of the problems, major problems with the pro-life movement is they're trying to convince the world there's not a religious basis to try to defend the lives of these children. And so they avoid that. They're trying to keep up with the intellectual Joneses. I guess they don't want to appear superstitious or antiquated. Uh, So. They they defend children uh, based upon sinking sand foundations, yes. like science, like follow the science. Well, where the heck has that led us? You know, <laughs> uh, you know, human rights arguments or philosophy. So they like have no problem quoting Gandhi, but they have a huge pro- problem in naming the name of Jesus. and and unsheathing the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Mm. which is the only offensive weapon that God has given us uh, to drive back the enemy and set the captive free. And so the reason why, you know, we have 49 years of failure in the pro-life movement and counting Mm -hmm. is because the Church has been led astray by the pro-life movement. And and they're taking, in other words, the church is taking their marching orders sometimes from people who don't even know the Lord nor obey his gospel. Um, their Their souls have not been regenerated. Their minds have not been renewed to the truth of Jesus Christ. And so what we end up doing, brother, is exchanging God's truth for political strategies that silence the name of jesus ignore his truth and uh and disobey his holy commandment Hmm. and at the same time they'll utter you know a prayer you know god bless our efforts well i'm here to tell you god ain't lost his mind Hmm. um (laughs) you 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 can't put on saul's armor and expect you're going to defeat this goliath called abortion no you got to you got to discard Saul's armor, and you got to put the right armor on—the armor of God—and go into this battle, uh, expecting that as we as we fight it God's way, then the principalities and the powers and the rulers of this darkness are going to come crashing down, and that God Himself is going to deliver the innocent from the hand of the wicked.
0: Mm. Amen. And I think you, we could ask the question, if you're wondering, friends, how can he say such things? Because we are pro-life, right? We, we are pro-God, pro-Bible, pro-life. But what does that mean in terms of America and this law, this evil law, Roe v. Wade? Actually, it wasn't a law. It was an opinion by a court, and we'll get to that later. But the So has the pro-life movement failed? And if not, I mean, next year will be 50 Years since Roe v. Wade. So at what point would we say, okay, the pro-life movement playing political ping-pong has failed? Let me go back and elaborate on something um, to your point, Rusty Thomas. In your book on page 18, uh, this is from the documentary Babies Are Murdered Here. And Dr. George Grant said this. Now, friends, we do have some people of different faiths and denominations, some listening to this podcast but we are standing up for the truth it says the Catholic Church operates largely by tradition rather than by theology it can create a culture that cherishes life large families and all that without having a strong foundation for that theologically so a skeptical generation can come and wash away centuries of tradition in a moment so I think the Roman Catholics are very good at creating this culture but very poor at establishing that culture upon a firm foundation because they don't have the theology for it as a result they can have short bursts of public policy victories but they are not sustainable what makes a victory sustainable will be the transformation of people's hearts by the power of the gospel that is what changes cultures what we need is Reformation. Rusty Thomas, please elaborate on these thoughts.
2: Holy, holy, holy. Well, that's that's part of the struggle, brother, because much of the pro-life movement is led by Catholic dogma, you know, um, pragmatism, and sort of secular reasoning. Could
0: you explain that, Um, please?
2: Well, obviously the Catholic dogma is a struggle because when push comes to shove you could have the clear teaching of scripture which is the ultimate authority of god in the earth um but when it comes to catholics and their traditions and dogma uh, catholics have to choose the church tradition over against the authoritative word of god and obviously that that's a huge huge problem um and so, uh, you you have Catholic dogma. You have uh, pragmatism. Well, you know what's pragmatism? It, it's it, it's um, it's a situation where we're just concerned about what works. And I've had this discussion with Catholic leaders over and over and over again. And I've had them tell me one of the reasons why they don't want to see abortion abolished is because it would ruin all their pro-life incremental bills. What? And I'm like, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? Wow. We're talking about ending this thing once and all for all, and what are you concerned about is your pro-life incremental bills that regulate baby murder but never ends it. Mm. And so, you know, in other words, they – they they take a, a pragmatic approach like what works in the real world. Well what we're needing is not pragmatism. We're needing principled leadership. Hmm. You know what is right and especially what is right before God. See one of the problems with the pro life movement, brother, they're they're adopting the same tactics and the same language As the pro boards, Mm. it's just different degrees, but they're all on the same foundation. They're all on the same premise. And so what the pro-life movement has done is to go on Satan's turf, use his tactics, and expect they're going to beat him at his own game. And that's been a fool's errand with disastrous results. Mm. So what we're wanting to do, brothers, is to get off this pro-life hamster wheel that's been bottlenecked by the Supreme Court, and call upon principal leadership and biblical principles that we know are promises of God. And once we stand on the truth and align ourselves back with God, then God Himself will work through His Church to deliver us from this evil.
0: Amen. Amen, Rusty. I, I wrote a chapter in one of my books called Judicial Tyranny, And um, it was about the Supreme Court and the power that they wield that they were never intended to have or given, actually. They are not a legislative branch. They are not an executive, but they are making law so to speak. Yep. Now, our listeners understand what that means. The Supreme Court can, does not, cannot make law, but yet they are. Well, that's what happened in some of their court decisions, particularly Roe Ro v. Wade and uh, what they legalized. So let's talk about how we got here a little bit, Rusty, on page 97 of your book, Chapter 7. It's called Incrementalism. And these. you also use the word gradualism, So explain how we got to this place. I think most of our listeners understand, but maybe you can offer a couple points that would help us to further understand it.
2: Well, again, brother, you know, I wrote the book from a biblical perspective, and in the chapter of incrementalism, I, I demonstrate scripturally an incrementalism that God will reject, He will not bless. And then an incrementalism that he will himself do once he finds a people standing four-square on his truth and trusting that his promises are yes and amen. Mm. And so I, I do use the Exodus, brother, the you know, uh, Moses and the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and, you know, heading into the promised land, and this negotiation back and forth between Pharaoh. And Moses, and um it's you know it's an interesting study, brother, <laughs> but the point being is obviously this was an incredible task put on the shoulders of Moses he's got to go to the Pharaoh and tell him, hey, let my people go and like you know, who are you who's God what God? I don't know this God, get the heck out of here and and then you know obviously God starts sending uh his judgments upon the land and and as he did he would it would kind of uh, awaken Pharaoh hey you got a huge issue here and so it, what and what you find brother is this negotiation between Pharaoh and Moses and so you know as you go along Pharaoh you know wants to work with Moses you know he wants to reach across the aisle he wants to, <laughs> he wants to make deals and and uh you know because that's what Politicians do, right? Yes. Now, what's interesting about Moses is he never takes the deal. And 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 if if that if that was happening here today, I guarantee you, ninety nine point nine percent of the church would be saying, Moses, take the deal. We got a seat at the table. Hmm. They're working with us. Yeah. Take the deal. If he takes the deal, brother, uh, there is. Uh, no deliverance, There, there is no rescue, there is no fulfillment of, of coming into the promised land. It would just be like a little bleep in history. Um, but because Moses stood four square on God's word, uh, which is, no, we are leaving, we're taking everything with us, and we're going to do exactly what God said. And there is no compromise in that. And uh, the final word was, not a hoof left behind. Mm. And so obviously, you know, Pharaoh was taking the incremental approach with Moses, but because Moses had a relationship with Almighty God, knew the clear commandment of God, he would not budge. He he stood strong. And because he did, eventually, you know, like the Scripture says, for this purpose, Pharaoh, I raised you up so I could bring you down, you know, so that my name and glory would fill the earth. And and so th- there's that aspect to incrementalism, mm. but there's also an incrementalism that God himself will do. And what do I mean by that? Well, when, when Moses stood foursquare on his truth, didn't budge, as they're going into the promised land, God tells them, I'm going to take you in little by little. Hmm. You guys are not used to war. There's beasts. There's issues that you don't know about. And so here God is, God is saying, I'm going to incrementally bring you in. And there's a huge difference when the church plans on incrementalism which denies the truth of Almighty God, and then the incrementalism that God will do once he finds a people standing foursquare on his truth and believe his promises.
0: Mm. Amen. Amen. Thank you for explaining that and laying that out for us. And I also thank you for quoting Psalm 73 in that chapter. Um, And I just want to remind people and get your response also that, you know, friends, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We do, however, say that this uh, the, the devil uses minions. There are forces of darkness, both human and demonic. What do I mean by that? The, the spirit of Antichrist and the devil uses people to further this evil, and we have to understand that, but the people themselves, some of them may be ignorant, they may be deceived, may, they may be useful idiots— but God uses people, but remember the gospel is, is the only thing that can change their hearts. Psalm 73, uh, verse 16 says, When I thought, uh, he was, the psalmist was wrestling with God. He says, When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction, Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. And that's from Psalm 73, 13 through 16, so, or 16 through 19. So, Rusty, we know, we know the end game. We ha- we've read the end of the book. We understand that there are two different destinations eternally, and there is a worldview war. There is a war f- being fought in the realm of the Spirit, and that's being played out in the natural. We've got two more minutes left,
2: and I would love for you to elaborate on that point. Well, brother, you know... One of the things that I've, you know, I've been in this battle a long, long time, and it always astonishes me, you know, how the wicked get away with evil. Mm. Like in our nation, the more you're a traitor, the more you're a murderer, uh, the more you are debauched, uh, the more you get promoted and protected. Uh, it's It's an interesting dilemma, which brings up, you know, the cry of the church for two thousand years, right? Mm. How long, oh God? How long, oh God? Like how long do we endure you know the oppression of the wicked? Mm. I mean, seriously, god and uh, and one thing I can just say about that, brother, when you when you study redemptive history, you know God has brought his church from tyranny to triumph over and mm. over and over again and there's a song say do it again well yeah he will do it again um, but the point being that god eventually does arise he comes to the aid of his people he rescues his people and he judges his enemies they're not going to get away with this brother i mean we know that the biblical history because um, like what are we up against now we're up against what happened in the book of genesis Man in the fallen state continually tries to resurrect Babel, hmm. you know? Man continues tried to reach up in the heavens and pull God down and replace him. Well, it didn't work for Babel, and ain't going to work for anybody else. That's right. Eventually, they cross the line, and God says, that's it! This far and no further, and bam! Justice comes, hmm. you know? And, uh, of course, we... We would rather see souls yes. receive the mercy of God, mm. which requires humility, which requires repentance. You know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, lowering our pride, you know, to the point that we bow our will, bow our hearts, and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Like, I, I, you know, the Bible says God has no pleasure In the death of the wicked. Amen. Amen. He gets no pleasure out of that. And and he says that he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and and, and repentance. So that's God's heart.
0: Yes, it is. You know what
2: I mean? But, brother, you...
0: Yep, we've got to take a break, Rusty. The book is called Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. We'll talk about some short-term and long-term strategies, plus tackle a few headlines when we come back with Rusty Thomas on Stand Up for the Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Phenomenal book by Rusty Thomas. I encourage you to get or give as a gift. Uh, A lot of people need to read this book, particularly in the church. Biblical Strategies to Abolish Abortion. But first, I want to mention a few headlines and just uh, this update. uh, Harbinger's Daily, one of our partner ministries, uh, they had a significant water event in the building they were operating a couple weeks ago. A six-story building was condemned, and they uh, were looking for a new building that fell through. Please pray for Harbinger's Daily. a Really, a solid biblical uh, website and uh, news outlet that's uh, world news biblically understood. They support us tremendously. So, Harbinger's Daily, keep them in prayer for God's provision. Um, looked at an article, New York Times attacks heartbeat laws insisting now this is the new york times insisting unborn heart hearts aren't really beating now this is the delusion that we are faced with we literally have heard ultrasounds or what is it sonogram or ultrasound where you can hear the heartbeat we literally hear these babies in the womb with their heartbeats and the new york times says oh they're not really beating this is the way the world looks at it one more headline indiana high school student and a district have uh, reached a settlement uh, they just wanted to have a pro-life club at their school, at their public school, and they were denied. Why would a school funded by our tax dollars, where everybody should be able to have their groups, deny a pro-life group? Well, this is happening, of course, in different places in the country, but now I guess they've reached a settlement. Now, when I bring in Rusty Thomas, the author of this book, I want to quote one more um, page out of his book, and this is by uh, R.J. Dooney in his Foundations of Social Order, said this, and this is what Rusty quotes in the book, Western liberty began when the claim of the state to be man's savior was denied. So it's talking about God versus God being government or government being God, right? The state then, according to Scripture, was made the ministry of justice. But wherever Christ ceases to be man's savior, there... Liberty perishes as the state again asserts its messianic claims Man is in trouble and history is the record of his attempt to find salvation Man needs a savior and the question is simply one of choice Christ or the state no man can choose the one without denying the other and all attempts at compromise are a delusion Rusty Thomas, your thoughts. We're we're dealing with this uh, people complying with government, looking at like government as if it's God. So your thoughts on this quote before we jump to the final topic in chapter ten of your book?
2: Well, brother, obviously there's a great disparity uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm afraid to um, you know sort of give the bad news, but most of the church, most pastors, most elders do not have a biblical worldview when it comes to the burning issues of the day. And one of the great uh, failures is we do not have a biblical worldview of civil government. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do in the book is to lay that out, like biblically, Mm. like, you know, God is the one who established civil government. Yes, yes ordained civil government, gave them lawful authority uh, to serve his purposes in the earth. Um, But here's the deal. Um, And I I go through Romans uh, chapter 13. Of course. What what does that reveal? Well, God is the supreme authority. Uh, Civil government is a delegated authority. Uh, They answer to him. And, uh, and their role is to punish evil. Uh, and here's the interesting thing. They're to punish evildoers as God defines evil and to protect those who are good in God's sight as God defines good. And so what Christians do not understand, that God's moral law, as it applies in the civil sphere, is to be established. Well, why is that? Well, we know in in human nature, brother, we have the tendency to call good evil and evil good Mm. and then codify that evil into law. And as we continue on that path, we are literally forging the chains of our own bondage as the state assumes a deity position in the life of their citizens. And instead of serving the people, They are now the masters of the people, and we are in bondage under despotism. And by the way, David, so critically important, there is a direct connection between tyranny and unjust laws and child sacrifice and the shedding of innocent blood. I I bring it out in the book, in Psalm 106. The Bible says they sacrifice their sons and daughters unto Demons, mm. it nourishes the demonic realm, and they shed innocent blood. This blood polluted and defiled the land. This angered the Lord, and what does the anger of the Lord look like mm. in the real world? Mm. Those that hate you are going to rule over you. And so, what are we seeing wow. in these days, brother? Who you know? Who's in Washington D.C.? You know, we have to understand. Uh, that there is a direct connection between the plight of the preborn and our plight, brother. In other words, no freedom for the preborn. What's happening to our freedoms? Hmm. No justice for the preborn. Why are we being subject to injustice? Right. Yes. No life for the preborn. History asks, do we deserve it ourselves? Wow. And so these these are critical issues, brother. And that's why you cannot ignore this thing. We can't. The Church cannot afford to ignore this Holocaust. God is dealing with us.
0: Yes. Yeah, he is
2: spanking us. Yep. He's using government as a rod to punish the iniquity of, of the Church.
0: Yes, we are and being we judged. And we got to
2: repent, brother. we yep. we got to make this right.
0: Yes, amen, brother. We are being judged as a nation and as a Church. But I want to go to, since we have uh, seven minutes left, Uh, Chapter 10, Short and Long-Term Strategies to Abolish Abortion. I'll just let you share what Reverend William Einwechter, I'm not sure I said his name right, uh, wrote about this aspect of God's character, and he uses the phrase man of war, because a lot of believers, I wouldn't say most in today's American church, uh, see God as a God of peace and a God of um, just just maybe maybe compromise no not compromise for God but we are to compromise if we can achieve peace but that's not God's way of doing things and this shows the the New testament Old Testament I'll just share uh, let you share what this important uh, section talked about
2: well this this was such a great quote brother because let's let's face it David one of the reasons why the church church is impotent, to fight and overcome evil to a large degree, uh, the church and our nation has been feminized. Um, We really do not have a a masculine gospel Mm. anymore, brother. And that's why it's very, very hard for the church to come into agreement with a depiction (laughs) that the Lord, you know, one of his names is he's a man of war. And uh, that doesn't fit very well. Uh, with our picture of the Lord that we try to communicate. And and, and understand, brother, by saying that, I am not discounting, you know, the nurture of the Lord, Mm -hmm. the mercy of God, you know, His grace and His forgiveness, so critically important. But one of the challenges of the church, brother, is we got to study the Scriptures so we understand all His attributes all his characteristics, all his virtues, and be faithful uh, to present them. And so he he does such a great job – it, it, and you just want me to read it verbatim, brother? Sure.
0: Let, let me just add the fact that I believe a, a, a huge amount of times the Old Testament refers to the Lord of hosts, which means the Lord of armies, and I think in Revelation it states that as well. We don't have that picture of God as the the head of our army or the, the Lord of hosts, but go ahead and share... Uh, you go ahead and read through it. I thought it was phenomenal. He makes uh, yeah, five, I lo- five I, points. I
2: love this, brother. I really do. He says, First, God, through the inspired words of Scripture, depicts himself as a man of war, now listen, engaged in a battle against his enemies. The Lord reveals that he is mighty in battle. He describes himself using weapons of war, swords, arrows, to take vengeance on his enemies. Hmm. Now, in every in everything that he's saying, he's giving um, uh, scriptural passages. Yes. So he, 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 his his logic is this: if warfare is always evil, and the warrior is always acting sinfully when wielding his weapons, then God could not depict his nature and ways by reference to war. The fact that God so Extensively associates himself with war, and the warrior indicates that war can be just. Hmm. The Messiah, the Lord Jesus, is also depicted as a warrior engaged in battle in both the Old and New Testaments. And he quotes Psalms in the book of Revelation. Second, God commanded Israel to engage in war and went forth with his people to give them victory in battle. This includes the charge to destroy the Canaanites and the commands related to the defense of the land of, the Palesti- of, of Palestine against invaders and impressors. God cannot command his people to do what is intrinsically evil. Great point. Third, amen, because he's holy and he's pure and he's righteous and he's just. Third, the Lord gave... Specific instructions on the conduct of war in his revealed law. That's Deuteronomy 21 through 20. All of the laws of God are just. Therefore, it follows that war itself is just if the laws of God concerning it are followed. Mm -hmm. Fourth, men of God, such as Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, and David, engaged in warfare with God's approval and help. Furthermore, the New Testament specifically endorses the warfare of these men as examples of faith in God and what faith can accomplish. That's Hebrews 11, 33, 34. And this is his last point, brother. Great. So important. Fifth, the New Testament does not repeal the Old Testament law in regard to war mm. and specifically upholds in principle the civil magistrate's, civil magistrate's authority to go to war. The sword that is given by the law, Lord, to the civil rulers, which he does not wield in vain as God's minister, is a weapon of war and a symbol of warfare. Additionally, Jesus, John the Baptist, and Peter did not call soldiers who believed in God to leave their profession of arms.
0: Phenomenal quote uh, backed up by Scripture on this issue of uh, God and uh, the man of war engaged in battle. Our battle is spiritual. Rusty Thomas, thank you for your time. Um, And we we really did get through some great points today. I encourage people to share the podcast. But tell us uh, briefly, we have just a couple seconds left, Elijah Ministries, uh, where people can find out more information about that.
2: Uh, you know, it's this. Uh, I, I that that website I, I let go for many many years because I was the national director of OSA, Okay. Uh, but it's still up and running. It's Elijahmin.com. But really, where people can help the cause, especially when it comes to this book, brother, is to go to Amazon if they can purchase it. Write a good review. Give it a five star rating. Amen. Uh, the value of the book will go up, and that means it will get into other people's hands. And uh, prayerfully, the Holy Spirit will take this book to, you know, convict, inspire, encourage people to get with uh, God's program.
0: Amen. Amen. Biblical strategies to abolish abortion. Tomorrow, our guest is our Canadian brother Carl Tykrib, author of Game of Gods check in with us next time. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.